Welcome to Americana Quill, writer to writer. Please like and subscribe and tell a friend that likes to subscribe. Today I have the honor of sitting down with a new author who released a debut book, Survivor's Remorse, Remorse, The Healing of Faith. Survivor's Remorse, The Healing of Faith provides a courageous and inspiring account of the author's journey through the intersection of faith and mental health after the 2019 heart transplant. A major depressive disorder, Dr. Vaughn chronicles the complicated heart transplant process while discussing the role his faith played in his recovery. Although for him, mental illness was a more of a formidable opponent than the actual transplant. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Alter Vaughn. Hey, how are you this morning? Good, good. Can't complain. You know, happy to just live another day, able to have a conversation with, with doctor with a doctor. Is that from um educational pursuits or were, are you like a medical doctor or a, a PhD? Yeah, PhD. Okay. I worked in higher education for uh, quite a while. Yeah. Nice. Actually until I got until I fell ill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I definitely want to get into that, but how was your health during these times due to COVID and, and then it kind of, it's a lot happening, I guess, with you, I guess, at, from 2019 into 2020. Well, I, I tell people I was social distancing before it had a name. Uh, <laughs> because through the process, I went through rejection uh, three times, which mm. required me to uh, get on some heavy doses of immunosuppressants and steroids and had me stay away from people because my immune system was weaker than, than, than most. So right. it's just an extension, an unfortunate extension of what I was already doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's your definition of faith before you wrote the book and what you were going through and your definition of it, I guess, now? Well, I'm not sure I have a, a, a definition. I just knew that I always believe that Jesus Christ was our Lord and Savior. I, I, I grew up believing that. I knew that. I, 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 there was no question in my mind. But through this process, I think my faith grew deeper. Um, I pray more. I, 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 I feel a closer change in how I view the world. Uh, things that used to bother me no longer bother me. I don't allow them to. Um, I, I, I'm more in touch with, with, with that side of my existence, but I don't know that my definition changed. I guess my definition has always been the understanding that Jesus, as I mentioned, that Jesus Christ is our, our Lord and Savior, and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Right. How was your process of writing the book? How did you know that you wanted to do it? What was your your thoughts before you did it? Things of that nature. So it was, it was sort of fun. Um, before I, I received the, the transplant, you know, I my body had felt very weak and I was in and out of consciousness. But uh, after the transplant, uh, my pastor had come and visited me in the hospital a number of times. And we talked about journaling, right? About just writing things down just as a coping mechanism. Uh, and, and after the surgery, when I was a bit more lucid and, and, and my body was still not strong, but stronger than it was pre-transplant. Right. Uh, we had odd hours in the hospital, you know, you, you, you really don't get to sleep in the hospital. They always want to come test or draw blood or do blood yeah. pressure right when you're getting that good sleep. <laughs> um, but then one of my nurses, because in intensive care, there's like one nurse per two patients. Right? Right. So you get a lot of individual attention. But they would come in. Uh, one of the guys that was one of my nurses would come in and, and Colton and I would sit and, and talk and I'd ask questions. I was naturally inquisitive. I was the executive director at Morehouse School of Medicine prior to becoming ill. So I was around a lot of MDs and, and heard all the medical talk and would work closely on the administrative side of hospital administration and med school and, you know, and research. 
So I became very inquisitive and knew some of the phrases and terms. And we'd sit up at night and I'd ask questions and he'd pull up my chart. And he'd say, oh, well, you know, how, how many times was I cardioverted, which is when they shock your chest to get your heart in rhythm. And they'd be like, oh, well, we charted 30, but we, we know we did more than 30 because it happened so frequently, we couldn't write it in the chart and do it. <laughs> so I'd ask different questions and learn different things. And I would keep journaling and I would keep writing things in the journal and then journaling and even uh, non-medical things, how I was feeling in any given day, the ups and downs of the day. Right. And, and even when I came home, I continued that and, and it sort of evolved into, well, I had this pretty thick journal of all this information that went, that, that I went through. Let, let, you know, let me start writing. Let me, uh, turn Was there any, right. Yeah. Was there any trepidation of even saying, let me release the, these personal feelings to the world about what you were going through at the time? No, I think prior to the process, I probably would have uh, not shared some of the things that, that, that I ended up sharing. Um, but I had just come to a point where certain things didn't matter. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, vulnerability in, in the book that I share. Right. Uh, the conversations about uh, going through major depressive disorder and how to go manage that and how I went through it and some of the really dark days. And prior to this process, I probably would not have shared those kind of things because like a lot of us, I, I, I probably saw it as, well, I don't want people to see that weakness in me. Mm -hmm. um, but after going through this, I was like, hey, you know, I, I'm an open book and if I can be a blessing to somebody else, let me do that. And, and you know, I made it to the other side. Right. So with the major depressive disorder, were they just very tough thoughts of even wanting to still be here? Like, what was your thoughts during those moments? Or is it, am I going to get out of this hospital bed? Like, Well, a lot of that uh, happened after I came home. Okay. From the and there would be days, it could be three days in a row where I'd be in the bed, dark room, eating. I was just laying in the bed uh, and struggling, struggling about, you know, why did somebody die so I could live? Um, in the quiet times, I could just listen and hear this, this, this heart that's 30 years younger than I am beating in my chest. Um, there was days I didn't know if I was going to make it. One of the first things I did, you know, I live in the South and, and, and guns are part of, you know, it's just, it's normal where it may not be normal in places like New York, right? right. So I have a, 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 I do own a firearm. So I can see the safe now, but I put it in a safe and called my attorney and said, hey, come get this from me. And he said, oh, I'll come tomorrow. I said, no, I need you to come now. <laughs> um, right. and, and he came and I said give this back to me anytime soon uh, so I just got really low at times and was like why Why am I uh, I wasn't sure I was going to make it I mean especially after the rejection because the rejection is what really triggered the depression okay that makes sense yeah. I, like, I guess hey, I asked that because some people I think when it comes to different mental illnesses I think it's them just trying to find a way to feel free and, and and free their spirit of whatever they feel is contrapped inside of them. So that's why I was curious on, on your thought process of what you thought of um, your, your mindset at that moment, basically. Well, I didn't think I was gonna make it. Like I mentioned, it was right. after I went through rejection a couple of times and I just said, hey, I, I can't live through last July again. I'm right. not gonna make it through that. I, I, I just can't, it, it was, it took everything in me to get through the period of getting acutely ill very quickly after playing golf, after running a, my eighth uh, 10K. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My heart doesn't work. I just ran a 10K three days ago, four days ago. Right. So just trying to manage that and say, I can't go through last year. I can't. I, I really don't have the physical or mental strength to do it again. And it no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Now that you have written your, um, your book, mm -hmm. Is that is this now something that you see as a passion of yours of to continue to write, or you think you might just this is a one-off kind of ideal for you? No, I really enjoyed the process, the creative process. 
it's a lot different than than my day job, analytical and number driven. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the creative side coming out. One on uh, the family history from 1841 to, and I haven't figured out when I'm going to pause because there's always room for volume two. Um, So I don't know, I'd have to do research to get current because there's so many things I don't know, especially since I've moved south. And then um, I'm working on another book about called uh, The Talk. And it really chronicles the life of a fictional 10 year old till he gets 18 and the different conversations a father and a son would have with uh, a young man as he uh, goes from, uh, moves into adolescence, you know, Mm. Uh, especially with some of the things going on in the world today as examples of different conversations and how that would change between a 10 year old conversation with a 10 year old and then a conversation with say an 18 year old that's getting ready to go off into the world. Right. So do you feel like your parents had those good, those hard conversations with you or you feel like you learned by experience and now you just at least want to equip your children? Oh yeah. Uh, no, we didn't have those conversations. We learned a lot yeah. uh, in the street. <laughs> and right. Sometimes it was pretty bad and completely off base. <laughs> I mean, for me, I feel like my dad, he didn't have to say much just through observation. We learned a lot from him just him coming home every night and just seeing what he was going through as just a black man was enough for us to know that it was, you know, it's a lot out there. So I don't think he ever verbally said, Hey, this, this, and that, but it's like, if you know, you know, by through observation with him for sure. Absolutely. I could see that. One of the biggest things I think I learned from my dad was work ethic. Like Mm -hmm. he grew up in it multiple generations before me, right? He was born in 29. I mean, so yeah, so he was like 40 when I was born. So it wasn't like a generation. There's a couple of generations between me and him. But we learned about working. He finished the ninth grade, went into the military, you know, fought in uh, Korea. But he always worked. If he had to work two or three jobs to make sure there was food on the table, he didn't complain. We never heard him complain. If he complained, we didn't hear it. Right. He was always willing to work on what we provided for. Now, some of those other life lessons like women or different things that would happen when you're away from home, he didn't really talk about those and we didn't see that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the kind of stuff you learned from other places. Right. <laughs> but uh, definitely about, you know, doing what do you got to do to provide for your family? We definitely learned that part from him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I can definitely see how your dad would be quiet <laughs> and and just sort of moving along the way and saying, "Yo, this is what I do." Like that. Right, but of- I mean, if I were asked, he would answer. But it wasn't volunteered information. He didn't just say, yeah. "Hey, sit down. Let me tell you how to navigate these these pitfalls." Because I think he didn't always get those lessons necessarily the way he probably. So for him to articulate it, I don't think it was always the easiest. That's just my opinion now as an adult. But yeah, I think many men of his uh, generation, his father's generation, they mm-hmm. didn't talk. You know, they, they, your grandfather, he went, he was in the Navy, and I believe it was the Navy for him. I know all of them served, right? All yeah. of my uncles served in the military <laughs> in one form or another, one branch or another. And they didn't talk, they, they just didn't have those kinds. Like at the dinner, when we all got together in Brooklyn for dinner, they were loud. <laughs> it was just a natural right. conversation and nobody was angry at all. So they talked then, but they didn't talk to, to us. You know, it wasn't that, let me sit yeah, down and, son, and let me sit down son and talk to you about this. That did happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's something that he might've learned, but he's very more communicative now as an adult than he was for me as a, as a child, and I think that's just him learning how to navigate those things. So, yeah. So that's interesting to to hear that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is the last book you read? Fiction, and then what's the last book you read that's nonfiction? Okay. So <laughs> the that's a good question. Hmm. I think, and I'm looking. I don't have my glasses on on purpose. 
I think the last couple of books I've read were one was oh makes me want to holler, but I think that I think they both may fall in the same category of uh, nonfiction. Makes me want to holler by Nathan McCall. It, okay. It's a book I read in my adolescence, um, which really was about him and his life uh, going through the different changes and different experiences. And then I'm I'm big on making sure that I you know one of the things I learned as a, as a young person I never I know what it's like not to have but I never want to not have <laughs> right? right so a friend of mine wrote a book ninety days to unlocking your financial freedom right so through this process I had to say okay I'm on disability right now I'm getting it I'm still uh, I'm blessed to not worry about where my paycheck's going to come from, like a lot of people during uh, the COVID uh, phase or whatever. Right. But I wanted to make sure that that I, I lined myself up to, to to make sure bills are paid. That I'm take that again. That everybody that was that counts on me is taken care of. So I read this book about uh, unlocking my financial freedom to make sure that uh, I manage debt, I manage cash. I'm in a good financial position to make sure things are pro- people are provided for. But uh, I think Nathan's book was probably a combination. It, you know, it it's supposed to be nonfiction, but I think he wrote it in a way that uh, probably lends itself to to some fiction. One of my friends would call it the oral tradition. <laughs> There's a lot of oral tradition. Right, good wise yeah. tales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, when writing your visit Nathan's book, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Continue, please. I think when 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 reading Nathan's book and looking at uh some things that have gone on in the last four or five years, it's sort of like wow, that book I read when I was in college, which is some time ago, and and a lot of the things that you know, it's still relevant. It it, it would still be a book that if somebody read today, I think they would enjoy, and they would probably align it with some things that go on. Uh, in the world really well, well those are the best books right it's, it's timeless it's not about a, a set period of, of moments like that doesn't no longer exist so absolutely i could see that when you wrote your first book did it energize you or did it exhaust you because i think now that i've written seven books i'm getting to the point of where i after i release the next batch of my books i'm gonna have to take a year or two break just for my own mental health and i think that's why i'm i'm getting into the podcast space of maybe writing blogs to like build out a website like this is you know i'm still trying to do think read more than i ever have i've read three books this week so you said how do you yeah so how do you feel about writing at this point is it still energizing for you or is it exhausting because of now you're diving into deeper characters well, I guess it, it, it's it's a bit both. Based on the topics, I find it energizing, right? So if I was writing something that I wasn't really interested in, it might be exhausting. Because I remember during periods of writing this book, I had to sit it down. I'm like, I'm tired. And I, I had to sit it down. I, I thought I was going to write it a lot faster than I did. But there were periods where I just had to sit it down and, and, and just let it be for a while and then come back to it. So I might sit, you know, not write anything for two or three weeks and then get through a period where I'm just writing and writing and writing. So I think I went through phases of, of, of being energized and then other times being exhausted of the process and frustrated of the process. But at the end of the day, I'm proud of the, 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 the outcome. And on the next book, I mean, I've jumped into it. I'm, I mean, there's some days when other things in life don't allow me to sit down and write, but right. I'm really enjoying when I do. So I think I'm really energized right now. Yeah, but it's like, like when you catch lightning in a bottle, it's it's yeah. good to go, like and, and get it out. But you said you did seven books. Well, how how much space was between each? Were there? Well, I only started were they like back to back to back. Um, some of them might have been back to back to back. I started my writing in 2013, but I didn't release my first book until 2014. So within six years, I've written seven books. But I've written more. It's just about finding the time space of when I'm able to release it, get it edited, and things of that nature. So, 
But 2021, I'm going to release seven books, and that's why I'm going to take a two-year hiatus. Are you self-publishing? Yeah. I think that's the way to go until you build up your brand, and then you have a back catalog that you can negotiate with along with whatever new books you might have available to you. So that's I'm taking a marathon approach of, of building out my catalog, and then from there, seeing if I can sit down with a publisher that is willing to buy my back catalog along with the book I'm trying to sell them. In the, in the current future, so so I used a, a a publisher, and because I think I knew so little that I didn't, uh, I was going to self publish. But my publisher, she did things like um, she had editors on on deck, artists to do the cover. Um, she really walked through the layout and design things that I don't have that skill set. And, right. and then hope they get released with Amazon and Barnes and Noble and such things that if I had completely self-published that would have, it would have driven me nuts. Cause I just don't know how to do those things. Right. So I guess it's not like a uh, big corporate publishing company, but more so somebody to help me get through the process. No. And I've, I've tried that too. After I published my first book, yeah. I thought maybe teaming up with someone would be helpful. But then when, you realize how much you get back in royalties and this, that, and there compared to what you do by yourself. It's like, I was better off just doing it by myself until I build up a true brand of where I can stand on my own and where I'm not paying someone to help service what I can do for myself, you know? But like, yeah. I understand for the first time why you would do that. But anytime you have any questions, you know you can now come to me and I'll, I'll definitely help you out. Outstanding. That would be helpful. Cause I'm, like I said, I want to release two in 2021. And then right. we're going to keep going from there. Over the next three years, I'm just going to keep writing. Um, yeah, I'm just going to keep writing and find different topics and things that are interesting to me and things that I think people are, would be interested in, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've mastered putting out the book. Now it's time to master the marketing and how to sustain sales and not it just be a network of people I know. I, I want to reach those people that are just avid readers. So. Mm -hmm. That's that's my focus now is to reach those people necessarily. Yeah, the marketing part is hard. I see this big banner behind me that I had made for the first book, right? Yeah. But you know, now I'm learning how to do different Zoom things and different um, media where you can't reach out and touch people, mm -hmm. and finding ways to uh, to get the book out. And I am finding that you know when when I do an event, I'm, I'm probably selling more at one time than then when I go look online to see what's what's happening through yeah uh, absolutely Amazon I mean face-to-face -face interaction is amazing because they'll, they'll give you a shot if they like the cover if they get to meet the person they feel more connected to want to give you a chance of reading a new author it's the it's the online sales I want to help raise up because it's like if we're working nine to five just to survive it's hard to to navigate the whole setting up a book yeah. platform somewhere to, to sell books so yeah I totally and how do you get, get your name out there broader than, broader right. than uh like you said you're a network of friends right yeah. or those that at least finally took the time to read the book so they'll come back around but it's like how do i get more of them so that's that's my goal within the next two or three years is to focus on on that part so that's why i'm starting the podcast and just things like that just so i can learn more about mm -hmm. people and also um just build another another portal for people that love to to read and write to get yeah. into it. And several people have asked me, do you have an audio book? You know, they want to be able to sit in their car and listen to it or sit wherever. Right. And they don't want to read it themselves, which is amazing to me. They don't want to read. They want to hear the message, but they don't want to have to sit and read it. They want to be able to, like, do whatever they're doing and have it playing, you know, during their commute right. while they're home doing whatever. And I was like, wow. I find a certain joy of sitting and just reading, <laughs> you know. Well, it's, it's a certain so leisure and luxury of, of that, for sure, that some people just yeah. want to be quick to keep in going. But I think, for me, audiobooks is good if it's about information, but if it's about just a good story or even some good nonfiction, you want to highlight what's important so you can always go back to it. You can't do that in an audiobook. So it's like, I don't understand the, no. so much. Yeah. But... I was like, we got to slow down a little and take time to, you know, we can't right. always, I've learned also through this process, I can't always be on the go like I was, you know, sometimes you just want to 
you need to sit and watch the grass grow. We don't right. get, as, get as much. Every once in a while, you know, let's enjoy whatever spoils we've we've earned. Watch the grass grow. Go by a lake or a beach, whatever, whatever you enjoy yeah, doing. Right. Take some time and just chill. And <laughs> enjoy the solitudes of your backyard and things of that nature. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it's been a great process. And I've been, like I said, it's energizing. And I've also found when I talk about mental health, mm-hmm. right? If I start the conversation, men will talk. They just, no one wants to be the first one. <laughs> but they'll, they'll be, they're willing to have the conversation if somebody else brings it up. Then they say, yeah, I went through this too. I'm going through this. But no one wants to be the first one. No one wants to be the one to jump out and say, yes, I have weakness. I mean, they know it's there, but when somebody else brings it up, I'm finding that, you know, we'll talk People about are more it. free to talk about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They feel like, I'm not here alone. I'm not here alone. Even though they instinct, instinctively know they're not alone, but when they hear it, they're like, "Okay, cool. We can have that con- let, let we can have that conversation." So, so I, how, I, I'm enjoying that too. Yeah. How did you promote this book outside of like Zoom interviews and things like that? I see you're an alum of Syracuse, so I could imagine that's a big network for you to to reach back to to let them know that you 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 produced the book out there for people to read. Yeah. So I'm a member of a lot of different groups. So, but last night. Uh, two classmates of mine also released books this year, and we did um, an author's roundtable with, with, with the folks from Syracuse, um, and we're going to, we videotaped it, and I have to finish some editing, and then, you know, there was a nice number of people that got on yesterday, but we'll release it more broadly through our mm-hmm. alumni network. Um, next week, I'm having another authors, virtual authors event with members of my fraternity and and it'll be the guys from not only the Northeast where I, you know, where I was initiated at Syracuse, but also through the South. And mm-hmm. that'll be, uh, you know, the, hopefully that'll uh, get it out. But um, also through social media, uh, whether it's Instagram, uh, Facebook, I more re- most recently got a Twitter account. I'm not really good at tweeting, <laughs> um, but just trying to find all these different networks and having people from uh, sort of help. And I'm getting a right. lot of good feedback from those who, who who have read it. Right. But I really need to figure out how to touch more people. And I go to the hospital monthly for uh, routine checkups after the transplant, and I really need to promote it through that network. And I haven't. I've been neglectful, but my next appointment is, uh, what are we in? I don't know what more. It should be soon, quite frankly. We're in October, so sometime in November, I assume? Yeah, so I will share it with with the folks that, you know, are going through this. Mm. And, 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 you know, so that'll be the next one through the medical community. And right. I mentioned I used to be the executive director at Morehouse School of Medicine, so I made sure that I sent free copies to the president <laughs> of the uh, more, uh, medical school yeah. no i mean it makes sense right it's like um we'd be so su- even i'm surprised of some of the networks i actually do have it's just that i figure i don't want to bother nobody but i have to get out of that mindset of just saying it's okay just to at least represent them with what you're doing at the time being it's up to them to either accept it or not it's but yeah. you got to give them the opportunity by letting them know so and that's I something i'm learning too there's a book, and I'd be happy to send you a copy because I have quite a few. The Brand Within. I'm a big fan of Damon John, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, so he has one of his books, The Brand Within. And, and, and basically, when I was a professor at a different university, I had Damon come speak to my business students. And we paid him to do it. So, you know, he's a nice guy, but he still got paid. Oh, no, he's a <laughs> businessman still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, really understanding your brand and how to market and email marketing. So I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about email marketing, because right now, like we know, you know, we, these bookstores aren't having face to face things. So how do I touch people? Well, I think building a website with an email, that's what I'm doing now is actually I'm building out my website with uh, where they can put in their email. And therefore, yeah. I can have my own data compared to me thinking a lot of people because you're not going to reach everybody through your social media platforms because it's through algorithms. So I did. I went to my Gmail account, right, and mm-hmm. I exported all of the email addresses that are there. Those are people that e- have either emailed me or I e- emailed over the years. 
Some right. I, some I may have talked to fairly recently. Some I may have not talked to in years. But I exported uh, that database, and it gave me a great start of a couple of thousand email addresses of people who, like I said, who at some level we've communicated. So right. using one of the email marketing platforms, I sent I send stuff out regularly to them. The thing I don't I haven't uh, worked through is I sent them one. How many do I send before it becomes annoying? But I feel like I need to touch them more than once before they're going to some are going to buy the first time and figuring out how many times I need to touch them before they actually purchase something. Well, I think sometimes it's not about always selling them something. It's about maybe you let them know what's going on through a blog uh, and you give them helpful tips. And then maybe you just leave the link at the end of where they can purchase your book instead of you just saying, hey, please buy my book. I'm author Vaughn and give them. So I, I had to learn that the hard way too. It's like, I think you'll get more out of my book just out of the fiction because I'm writing from like a moral compass of like trying to still teach a good story. Mm-hmm. But maybe sometimes just giving them a helpful tip on just just what you do on your daily life of maybe 10 minutes of, of prayer in the morning sets out your day or something like that. And then you leave a link for where they can maybe support you in other ways. And you just do that monthly. Eventually, they, if they if they keep on liking what you're, what you're giving them, they'll, they'll purchase the book. Okay. And monthly. That, see, that's a cadence. That's a good cadence is touching them once a month. Because if you yeah. touch them too often, they're going to unsubscribe or complain, right? They don't, like everybody else, you don't want to fill up their email box. And, it, you know, uh, especially with people working from home, it's just a different environment. And they're probably getting so many more. They probably got a lot of emails before, but so many more now because you're, you know, you're not seeing people as much. Or maybe you do it once a week where it's, but it's, a, it's, a, it's in a pleasant way where it becomes part of their routine somehow. Those are the yeah. ones you want to keep. It's like, you know, so it's, it's, it's a fine balance. It depends on what you're trying to service to, to someone. Absolutely. Because for me, the, the book sales would be nice, but it's really the message. How many right. people can I get this message to? And can it be of help to them? You know? So, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me or anything? Uh, you know, I don't want to be one-sided no. for no, no, I'm good. This is a good conversation. So you wrote seven so far. So what are the topics that you found interesting that you wrote about? Well, I write my first few books were coming of age stories. One of them was, I guess, loosely about my life and me trying to navigate my hometown of being like, a. although we grew up in a suburb, it's very, um, it's a lot of red line, a lot of red tape where I grew up. So it's like just knowing that you don't get all the resources that the neighboring towns get. You notice that at a young age, living in Long Island, especially being, um, it's still one of the most segregated counties, Nassau and Suffolk County are top 10 in, in segregation, which people don't know. So it's like, we deal with a lot of inverted, like internal racism that you don't even realize until you get to certain ages and you start seeing certain things. So just talking about those those moments, and then just other books that maybe have been downloads from like God, it's like, I just write them in like a fiction format of just telling a good moral compass story. So I've written about seven fiction books and that's just kind of my thing, just writing fiction. And with the next group of books, I'm doing a lot of um, crime ser- a crime series called Malcolm Evans, which is basically a playoff of um, Mega Evans, the civil rights leader. Of, I kind of have him in the prism of, imagine if he didn't get shot and he assassinated and he actually lives out his full life where he actually does decide to become a lawyer since he did apply to go to Ole Miss for law school. So imagine if he, instead of going there, maybe he goes to Howard since they didn't allow him to. And he gets his degree. And then from there, that now becomes a family trade. So within the family trade now, you have his great grandson who's a lawyer who's now fighting somewhat a civil rights battle in the first book of defending a black man who had to kill three rogue officers who thought it was okay to try to steal something from his family. He just did in self-defense. So now he's going to trial and then the prodigal son of, of Mega Evers, great grandson is now defending this black man against these white people. So it's kind of like doing a crime series fiction of, of that elk starting from civil rights history into a kind of like present day. So that's something that I've written a lot of that's going to be released in 2021 called the Malcolm Everest series. And the first book, the title is just by 12 or carried by six. So that's, okay. that's that. And then 
I got I write screenplays too, so it's a lot harder to like sell a screenplay if people don't have a book. So then I just decided to convert the screenplay into a book for two of my stories. One of them being um, a love in Central Park. Um, that's where I kind of met my wife, and we kind of had some of our deepest conversations at Central Park. So although it's not about our story, it just the prism of using Central Park as a backdrop. So I wrote a book, a rom com book, kind of for that that's coming out. So I, I'm just an overall writer. Like if I have an idea, I'll execute the idea all the way through. It's like, I just, you know, just don't stop. And I think that's why I want to take a year or two break or so I'll just keep writing books, but like not building up the foundation of marketing that I need to like, to keep going. I tell going. people all the time, I said, you never know when you're going to be a character in a book. So never, never think that everybody, every conversation and every time we talk that you may not, you may end up as a character and not know it. And they're like, right. really? I'm like, yeah, it could happen. Something. Mm -hmm. If I pull out my phone, it's not that I'm texting when we're together. It might mean that I'm taking a note because I won't remember. <laughs> you know, right. four hours, five hours later, when I sit down, I'm like, what was that conversation again? So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it down now. I was like, and I hope I answered your question. I feel like I was a little long-winded. No, no. Oh shoot. Wait till you hang out with me a while. You'll be like, oh yeah, I'm not. He's long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> But no. Um, so what got you into writing? You mean what did you when you finished high school? What did you do? Um, I was actually helping out at my uh, my cousin's store. Well, I went to college, got a degree in business administration, minor in sociology. Where? So then after, um, in New Hampshire, in New England College. So I oh. went there to play lacrosse. So I played lacrosse and, and things like that. So after that, I was trying to find a, a regular nine to five, but it was really hard. So I started working with my cousins, and I was reading. The Alchemist, and although the book was very, it, I felt like it was written so simple that, but it was such a great story. I was like, I think I could write a book. So then that's when I started trying to dip my hand in writing. And then once I wrote something that I felt was powerful, I was like, wow, I think I could do this for a living and be happy. So then that's when I just kept doing it and just never stopped ever since. So, and I think it's because it was written so simple. I didn't, I, when you don't, when you're not a writer, you don't think you're a writer. You think everything's written so complex, but when you read something so simplistic, but gets the message home, it's like, okay, I think I can write. And and from there, I was able to. Yeah, the biggest challenge I had was confident. when I first wrote, the, I, and I gave it to the uh, editor, she said, you know, you just wrote an academic paper. And I was like, well, that's what I do. <laughs> right. He said, I need you to learn how to, it's funny, when I first went to the doctoral program, they said, we need you to learn how to write like an, act, like an academician, right? I need to learn how to write like an academic. So now I do that fairly well. And now they're saying, no, 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 no. You need to stop writing like an academic and, <laughs> and write like, like somebody that's telling a story. And I said, y'all are killing me right now. <laughs> I think the I best way to, to know that is um, I tell some people that I, I consult and I help consult with is read a newspaper and see and realize that they're writing on a fourth to seventh grade level. It don't go past that. Yeah. That's how you want to write your books so it can reach everyone. It's not about reaching the, the elite that knows that level. It's about reaching everyone. And you do that by writing in the most basic levels. It's about getting from point A to Z. It's not about necessarily making a lot of turns to make you feel like you know how to write. It's like, no, make sure you feel, make sure everyone feels comfortable to read, so. Yeah. I had yeah. to take a lot of the medical terms and put them in a, like the word cardiovert. No, people are like, what the heck is that? But then I said, right. oh, you know, I talk about, you know, getting your heart shot. They said, oh, I get that. I see that on, you know, so I had to. Yeah, I see that on ER all the time on the reruns, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I had, uh, you know, I couldn't use those kind of terms. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, I know what that means. But most people are like, I have no clue what that means. <laughs> and, and if they have to pick up a, a, a dictionary to read your book, they're not going to read it. <laughs> no, it's true. Or they might just get frustrated and give you a bad review out of their own frustration. Because some people don't want to do research. They just want to read the book and know if they get it to understand it, cool. If not, then they'll be like, that. It's, it's, I don't get it kind of thing. So. And one cool so, yeah. thing about having an editor, I had a friend who wrote a book and I bought it because I wanted to be supportive. And I was like, yeah, dude, I got to like 10 pages and I, I had already pulled out my red pen and I was editing your work. I said, I, said, I stopped reading. So why? I said, because I don't want to have to edit what I'm, I mean, I'm reading for fun and uh, it, you have so many grammatical and spelling errors in here that I'm, 
Right. I'm editing instead of reading. Some people try <laughs> to fun. some people so try I to cut corners. Down, I was like I'm done. Right. <laughs> but I got a notepad. So, hmm? I said some people yeah, try to cut co- cut corners on that stuff, but it's like you can't cut corners. Like you got to get fresh eyes because you're not going to see your mistakes, and that's okay if you don't see it. But you got to let someone else see it and, and make those decisions to fix it for you. You got to let somebody else edit your work. And as an independent author, all publishers, there's going to be one or two, but when it's past five or six, it's like, all right. And it's not all on different pages, it's all on one page. That's when it becomes an issue for people, for sure. Yeah. And I was like, I'm on page 10, and there's a lot of red on this. We had a lot of red ink here. I I supported you, but I'm not reading this. And may have a very good, you know, message, but I'm not going to find out because I can't keep editing. (laughs) Right. But yeah. But I've enjoyed the work, you know it's and it's fun and it's also therapeutic like i'm going to be home for a while uh as i continue to heal um so it's, it gives me you know it's, it's so how, how long did it take you to write the book and how many pages is do you think is a good book for you or how many words count oh, is how you feel I, I didn't count words i, I waited till the message was done mm-hmm. um so this book i have it in my hand Right. Uh, it's 190, 190 pages, right? Um, mm-hmm. When I have my friend's book, Nikki, that were the one, the financial book I mentioned, hers is 103 pages. Yeah. So, it's all relative. That's why I asked that question. Right. How many pages does it take to get that message across? Right. It, you know, so it took her 103, it took me 190. And, and mine is, you know, and the number count's going to be different because my book is a different size than hers and more pages. Is so, yours a five by eight or is it bigger than that? No, that's what's that? Five, that's about five by eight, isn't it? Yeah, that's the standard standard size. Yeah. So, I'm just kidding. you know, uh, and then it also matters, you know, I was looking at word count, but the next one I'm working on, uh, this family story, I, I include some images. So that's going to take up some space, right? So right. that book may be longer or shorter. I don't know yet. But it's going to have some images in it that uh, that also take up space that'll make the page count go up. Yeah, I don't know what the word count will be, but the page count might go up because of you know part of telling that story requires images to me. You know, uh, when you think of a, a a school at the at the beginning of the 1900s, we can't think of a the schools we would have went to for high school. These are wooden structures with tin roofs that had two rows of chairs. Now, right. you know, so that image, you know, those optics are gonna matter in telling that story to understand- uh, The time period. To help understand the, the, the time. Yeah, to put it, in, put it in perspective because some of us don't realize, you know, we're far away from that, but not that far. No, yeah, people, I think people fail to realize that blacks only been free maybe about maybe 30, 40 years, but really probably only when I was born, if you think about, <laughs> like my dad, if you think about if he was born in the South, he probably wasn't considered born free if he had to go through Jim, um, Jim Crow, right? So it's like, um, it's, you know, technically, if you want to be technical about it, I'm probably the first one outside of maybe my my my, my youngest, uh, my dad's youngest brother, probably, I was probably the first one that's like born without those type of tapes and, in America, Ryan was yeah. all up too. He's not that much younger than I am. <laughs> no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, he was born at least in the '70s, where the laws were at least passed. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. that wasn't necessarily. But yeah, because because all of the rest of them, and even me, because I'm in the in the late '60s, Brian's early '70s. Yeah, uh, the laws got passed right before I, you know the Voting Rights Act. Voting Rights Act was passed four years before I was born, right? Right. Uh, and then how long did it take to truly implement? And, and exactly. how uh, my parents, your grandparents were fortunate that they were in, in a little more fortunate being in New York as opposed to their grand, their mother who, mm-hmm. who started off in, in, in South Carolina in a much right. different time. You know, she's born, I believe, in 1909 <laughs> in a much different time in South Carolina and then eventually moved to Philly and from Philly to New York. Right. Um, so, 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 yeah, it, it, it is a very different, different, uh, you know. I think that's I, a I, felt I think perspective. Somebody that was born in 1909. 
you know, right. having the opportunity to have that conversation. Yeah, and absolutely. Remember, you know, people that were born in the 1800s and, and, and things that gone, you know, that, that that's, um, that's why I have to write about it because I don't want it to be lost. Right. I, you know, and, and if and if somebody doesn't write about it, it'll it'll eventually get lost and you know. In translation, yeah. I'm really learning that I'm quickly becoming an elder. You know, last year when I came up for Aunt Tibby's funeral, I was like, "Yo, I'm becoming an elder." There's only two people of the generation before me still around: your granddad and 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 Aunt Rose. Right. You're the only two left of the generation before me. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I gotta write this stuff down and the stuff they, they they taught us because it'll get lost. Right. Even if it's only for our family and no one else reads it, I don't care. But uh, I would cause cause I just don't want it to get lost. Um now I'm not becoming that that you know, we oh well, we have cousins of that generation, buddy and other people, but direct lines to us. Uh, right. You know, yeah, it's it's far and few between. Yeah. So so I said I have to write this down. I came across I came across notes and information, and I said I'm gonna that that's gonna take priority over the other book because I just need this to be done. Right. I, even if you don't publish it, even if you just get it knocked out, that's fine too. Yeah. And, you know, I can even know just self publish that and be like, hey, you know, the next time I actually show up to a family reunion, I'll be like, hey, one of my my gifts to everybody is this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after you get it published, I, I found out how inexpensive it was for the author to buy their own book. I was like, you know, I like this. You know? Yeah, 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 for so sure. For me to buy it and sell it, you know, is so much more lucrative than having to pay everybody else to. Oh, I tell them to go to the distribution channels of Amazon or Barnes and yeah, Noble. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, that might be you know something something I, I, I do. As I think about that, I don't know the next time we'll have one of those. I'll have to talk to those who plan such things. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, but I enjoy writing it, and it's very therapeutic. I don't know. Do you? I, do you? I find it to be therapeutic. How about you? You know. You no, absolutely, I do. I, I just think, for me to make it my life's work, I, I want to start focusing on the other aspects of it. That there's no way around it. It's like I tried. <laughs> I try just to write my heart out and see where that takes me. And for those that read it, they love it. But then it's like, I got to find a way to reach people. So that's why I'm I'm going to take a about a year or two hiatus. But it's not without me releasing a lot of material out to the world. So, so what I was told was, and I don't know, I'm, I'm still learning. So I listen to a lot of people, right? Right. But they said what I really have to figure out is how to get into a space where somebody wants me to speak about this story, right? Um, so if you get invited to, to have the conversation about what the book's about, that it, when you're making it your life works, you know, that, that speaking about it and paid to speak about it will give well, that's you just another, freedom to right. do more writing. I think that's possible, but I think there's a way of selling enough books where you don't have to necessarily go back to work. It's just, it's, the, it's all about the person's approach, right? But I think eventually you're going to want a, a whole pie of a business. So maybe the podcast is one thing of a stream of revenue. My books itself is a stream of revenue. Mm -hmm. Speaking engagements will be a speaking uh, a thing too, you know? So it's, it's all a process. It's just building the foundation. But if I don't write the books first that I have, I don't think I have enough complete um cachet to necessarily say this is really what i do for a living all these other things is great it's like it's like i'm forced to do it because i want to keep up with the time but i think i'm very old-fashioned and if i could just write a book and let that sell i would do that that's just not the time we live in so it's like i got to pick yeah. up other other things but i think i'm a storyteller first more than even just a writer it's like i like to tell stories i like to to figure out the beginning middle and end like that's just what i fell in love with so, but yeah, speaking engagements, I think for, um, I think it's easier for an author of your ilk that has a story, a personal story that they're putting their name behind. Anything personal with me, I'm writing it within a form of fiction. It's like, you won't know what's really me, what's my, my family or, or what, just because that's just how I chose to, to take on the craft. And I feel like, you know, writing one book makes you an author, right? But you have to, can, Writing multiple books can make you an accomplished author. 
<laughs> there's a lot of people. Yeah. There's probably a lot of people that write one book because they have, like me, I could stop and say, hey, I wrote this book. I'm done. I got this story out. And that, that's good. But as I write more and more, as you mentioned, and I have a catalog, it really makes me, um, you don't want to be that, you don't want to be a one hit wonder like they would say in the music industry, right? Right. You don't want to write one and then say, okay, <laughs> you want to be able to say, hey, I have a series of, of books that are a quality that, right. that, you know, that you do something with. And I think being an independent author helps you build out a catalog. Now, if you were able to get major publishing, you might take a break because you already have an advanced check. You, you know, you don't have to do as much legwork probably, but yeah. I think building a catalog is just the way to go if you're going to try it independently because you could wait for years waiting for somebody to say yes to you. And it's like, if no one knows you, they're not going to say yes to you at this point in time in, in traditional publishing. So yeah. me knowing that it's like, you know, let me put the work in and see where it takes me. So I have some bargaining chips if I ever do get to the point of, of a major publisher. Because I have a classmate from from undergrad who works at a publishing house, and even calling her, she said, "Hey, when you finish this, you know, send it to me." And I mean, she she was kind, but it was sort of the blow off at the same time. Yeah, because it's about upstreaming, <laughs> right? It's like if it does, if you do well, if you sell enough copies, then maybe we can upstream it to our major publisher. But then you're gonna give them half of everything you already worked on. It's like it's you know, it's a. I don't know. I feel like doing it yourself, it's, it's a longer route, but you'll you feel more rewarded at the end if you have to give up a piece of it. So I sort of feel like there's three kinds of publishing, right? There's the one you just mentioned where you do all this work and, and they take more than half, it feels like. I mean, some people I heard getting, you know, getting very couple of dollars per sale. And that's right. like work, one of the big ones. And then it's self-publishing where you do it all of the work from you know soup to nuts as as as, as elders would say and, and you really collect your royalties that's yours the whole thing and what i did i think is in the middle between so i i had to pay up front right so I, it cost me a couple of grand but they like i said the cover the editing the layout you know once i wrote they they pretty much did this stuff but then right. once they get it to the, the distributors the Barnes and Nobles, the Amazons, the Books a Million and others. But now my royalty is, you know, significant. On every book, it's uh, about $12, which for what I'm told is pretty good as a royalty, right? <laughs> um, but then right. when I sell myself, like I could go to a conference and sell them. And you probably get $17 because you're only paying for the print cost of the book, which yeah, is probably 3 I, or $4. Yeah. yeah I, Take the book and say, okay, I'm taking 20% off sale, and but my royalty is actually larger after I take the 20% off. Yeah. Then when you Amazon, <laughs> so that too. Once we get back to face to face in 2021, my doctors tell me next summer. So. We'll, they, they said it'll still be different, but you know, 2021 is when they think there's the summer of 2021 is when they think there's going to be some uh, tested and readily available vaccine for uh, COVID-19. Yeah, and I'm listening to them. I'm not listening to the politicians. I'm listening to the the physicians. No, absolutely, <laughs> I hear you for sure. So I think there's three different ways to publish, and people have to figure out based on their skill set which one fits. I like the one in the middle work for me. Because you know, do you feel like you're recouping though, or are you, are you, like you want to recoup your budget soon or no? Because that's another thing too, right? It's like if you don't have the network that you have, is it worth spending the, the few grand or doing it yourself so you can recoup your budget if you can take your time and do everything articulately well? well. It, it depends on how you look at it. Financially, I'll probably recoup what I spent hopefully before the end of the calendar year, right? Mm -hmm. Um. But fortunately, I was in a, I'm in a position that if I don't recoup it, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to keep food off the table. Right. Um, so to me, it was beneficial because, as I mentioned, that person that wrote a book before that I had that I had to read ink to. For me, it was the, the, the cost benefit was more about releasing something of high quality. So, yeah, let's say I, I don't ever recoup my money, which I think I will. Um, and I think I will this year. Um, 
I have a high quality product as opposed to saying, I don't have certain skill sets. So if I had tried to do it all on my own, I probably would have had a low quality product or maybe I'd gotten frustrated and just put it down and never dealt with it. Right. So I guess it depends on. I mean, it's a growing process of doing it independently of understanding better formatting, different things like that. But it's like, once you get it down packed, it's like doing it yourself. I think it's, yeah. it's just as good as you spending the $2,000 to see it the way you did maybe. But you got to develop the skills. You got to de- understand your shortcomings, right? Like some people right. write better than others and you have to say, okay, th- this is where my weaknesses are. How, where do I find resources in my, my network to sort of help me where I'm weak? Right. You know? And if you can do that, doing it all yourself is great. If you can find yeah. people that can help strengthen where you're not necessarily good. I mean, you might be a good storyteller, but you know, you don't write well. So how do I translate my story into the written word? And right. Make sure it's, at the end of the day, you want a quality product. You don't no, want absolutely. to scratch. So where do you find the where do you find the people to help you where you're weak? Well, it's places where you can still allocate your funds instead of like doing their one house shop. So it, it all depends on the author, like you said, for sure. Yeah. So you know, the publisher helped, but as I learned, she was farming things out too. Like she wasn't doing the editing. So when I paid her, and she was in turn paying someone else to do the editing, paying someone else to do the cover art. <laughs> um, so right. she was sort of like. I have the resources uh, and I'm going to farm it out and I'm going to pay these other people. I get, you know, some money off of this as well, but you know, it became like, well, well, she's farming everything out. So she's really just a hub. (laughs) Right. So I think now that you're writing, you'll find your own, your own hub, your own writing system, your own team that you can always allocate and you'll be able to save money that way too now. Absolutely. So that's the, that's the great part of what you did is, you got to see a little bit of the inner workings. And when I did that and I saw how they were working my book, it's like, y'all not doing more than I would do for myself. So therefore, you have to do I'll start doing it. Right. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah, but like I said, it was a good learning experience. Right. Uh, and I'm proud of the product. So, but yeah, everybody has to figure out where they are, right? Absolutely. Everybody doesn't, you know, for some people, the, the drop to two grand is just something they can't do. And if they do do it, it would impact their ability to feed their family. So they have to do a different route. No, absolutely. And one of my friends, I'm not sure how, but, you know, and it could be because, uh, I don't know, he just found a, a publishing, academic publishing place, and they did the whole thing on his first book. And I was like, how did that happen? Who did you know? <laughs> I mean, right. Because I don't think a lot of people that I but know. But did, did he get like a traditional advance and things like that? Or... Well, I don't know. I didn't ask because, you know, I don't okay. get into people's money. <laughs> no, 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 no. When no, I say it's just about traditional, they're supposed to give you an advance before, like, for the material rather than the way you've done it or the way I do it, I'm doing it. Okay. That's why I'm asking. I'd imagine that they did. I, I, his book is here as well. It's 150 years of Obamacare is what he wrote about. Is the, the mm. But, um, yeah, but he immediately was with a, you know, a, a publishing house. And I was like, what relationship? I, a lot of things I think in life are relationships. So I'm trying to figure out who he had a relationship with that allowed for, for that to happen. Right. And I think you're in a great place because you have the marketing of just networking and all the different fraternity, the fraternities and the things you've built over the years. I think definitely is going to help you definitely not only sell the book, but get your message out there to those that, that, that want to hear it because they need to hear it. And, and that's the beautiful yeah. thing. And I want people that really guys that, 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 that redefine man up. When we don't feel well, go to the doctor. Take your month of your birthday and, and do your annual physical. That way it's always easy to remember when to do it. Do it the same month you were born. You're not going to forget your birthday. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so true. You know, just go ahead and do that. because And, and, when, and, and then sometimes, you know, instead of manning up saying, hey, I'm just going to get some rest. Like, hey, something's not right. You know what you're supposed to feel like. Right. Go see the doctor. Go for a walk every once in a while. Get a little exercise. Yeah, know. get some fresh air. Absolutely. And and we all and many of us need to just slow down. We can't, you know. Things aren't going to uh, fall by the wayside if we take a little time for ourselves. Yeah. You know, things will. Some. 
My last question for you is, is there any suggestions you have for those that want to write a book? I would tell them, just do it. You know, so don't be scared. Just get out there, grab your computer, whatever kind you, and just get to writing and, and just write. Don't work. Don't worry about editing all the way through. Just write. No. Yeah. I tell people write and, write and write until you're done and you'll know when you're done. No one's going to tell you. It's not a certain number right. of pages. Just write. I tell people if they can know your beginning and know your end and find your way through the, the maze of the middle. Yeah. If, for fiction at least and just write two hours a day and you'll be surprised at the end of 30 days you'll be surprised how much you've already written and it will make you want to keep going and, and and figure out the rest of your story so for sure just said that you gotta sit in the chair and just write that's where it starts but don't make it hard on yourself just enjoy the process and write don't think about yeah. it all. Just, you know get the words on the page words on the screen and uh, everything else will work itself out totally totally agree so usually I do a quote of the day and then lyrics of the day. The quote of the day will be from Stephen King. If you don't have time to read, you don't have time or the tools to write. Simple as that. So that's, I think that's something that writers, if you consider yourself a writer, you got to read. There's no if or ands about it. You just have to. It's just one of the, it's just a, it's just a staple you should have as a writer. Absolutely. I don't know if you agree with that, but. Oh yeah. I, I try to read something. Like I said, I got all my books in my little library and, Try to read something. You right. know, uh, sometimes it's fiction, sometimes it's nonfiction. Sometimes I might not get through the whole book, but I'll read. You know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And lyrics of the day comes from Bon Jovi, and it's I thought of this because of your book. Um, it's called "It's My Life." It's my life, and it's now or never, because I ain't gonna live forever. I just wanted to live while I'm alive. It's my life, so. I thought those lyrics were very potent. Uh, it kind of tells about your Survivor of Remorse story. And I've assumed the title Survivor of Remorse is because of you receiving the heart transplant of a younger individual. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's this person had to die so I could live. And then thinking about and learning how to deal with favor. Um, why me as opposed to anybody else? Why, why did I live as opposed to anybody else? And learning how to manage and, and understand the concept of favor. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, um, and, and, yeah, what did I, that's the word. It's another phrase I was thinking of, but I can't remember it, but learning how to understand God's favor. So when we talked earlier about my relationship with God prior and, and, and post transplant, mm -hmm. I never really thought about favor and, and how to deal with her, how to manage God, how to understand God's favor. Um, so things like that, they, 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 there's things that I gained a greater understanding of. So part of that remorse is, is learning how to navigate emotionally and work through uh, logically uh, the, the, these things, these blessings that I've been given. Do you believe it's more favor over grace, just that he was gracious enough to allow you to have someone else's heart? Maybe because oh, they're, they're, of their journey? Yeah. Um, well, maybe their journey w w w was over and, and they did whatever God had for them to do on this point. Right. Right. And that doesn't always have, that doesn't always have to be when you're 80 or 90. For no, that absolutely. Event, right. Uh, right. Dr. King had 30, what, 33 years? No, 30 years, some, somewhere in the 30s, right? I don't right. remember the so his mission was over, right? And, and look at the legacy he left in, in, in such a short time. Um, and there's other examples, Medgar Evers, you mentioned earlier, and others who, who, who they did what he, they were intended to do on this earth in a short time. So, you know, I, I had to look at, you know, maybe mine's just beginning. Maybe right. this book this story is just the beginning for me. Mm -hmm. and, and I wasn't listening. And when you don't listen, God has a way of slowing you down. And, and waking you up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe so I want to. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No worries. I I'll talk forever. You know, I take long when it runs in the family. <laughs> no, I hear you. So I want to thank Dr. Arthur Vaughn for sharing his story and his book Survivor's Remorse. Um, we'll definitely have the link available on the YouTube and all major platform audio links such as Spotify. Thank you guys again. This is Americana Quill, writer to writer. Thanks. Oh.
Mommy, come take out the garbage. In a minute, Mom. Hello? Where are you? You're what? missing it. Get down here right now. Wh where are you? We're in the tunnel. You have five minutes. Get down here right now. Okay. Hurry up. song for the broken hearted A silent prayer for faithy parted And I ain't gonna be just a face in the crowd You're gonna hear my voice when I shout it out loud It's my